G'day humans, welcome to Safe Space for Dangerous Ideas, and here's a slightly, ever so slightly dangerous idea. How about we have a nuanced conversation about the most beloved and uh, most uh, controversial in some ways movie of the decade, Barbie. Why, you ask, am I doing an episode about Barbie? Uh, so many weeks, lo these many weeks since it uh, first dropped, since I first saw it. Uh, well, I wanted the dust to settle. I wanted to sit with it a little while. I didn't want to jump on the bandwagon. I didn't want to insert myself into what seemed to be some pretty crude criticisms of the movie by crybaby men who felt that it was, uh, I don't know, uh, too feminist or something. That's not the point that I'm making. Uh, my, the point that I, I want to make is just that it's not feminist enough and not in the right way, and it's not actually grappling with the issues that it thinks it's grappling with. Now, one could say on this question, why would you bother criticising a movie that is made for 13-year-old girls and is just a comedy? To the extent that Barbie gives 13-year-old girls uh, a, a sense of the conundrum of womanhood that resonates with them, I think that's great, and I applaud it. To the extent that it's only a comedy, I think that's great, and I applaud it. But the it's only a comedy, stop taking it so seriously line is a little bit tired. It's a line that I never liked John Stewart using when he was the host of The Daily Show. You know, people would call him out for some particular political position that I felt he should have actually defended, and he would say, this is a comedy show. We're on after a show where puppets make prank phone calls. I mean, you know, what do you want from me? I always felt that was a dodge. He was an important figure in the politics and culture of the United States at the time, and it behooved him in some way to acknowledge that. And similarly with Barbie. The first two-thirds of the film could arguably be a fun, uh, candy-coloured, popcorn, high-heel extravaganza comedy. But the final act begins with a powerful and very serious speech by the America Ferrara character about what it means to be a woman in the present day. And that speech becomes the catalyst for the final act, which is an awakening of the women in Barbie land to essentially foment a revolution and seize back control from the, from Ken and his toxic uh, masculine, masculine friends who have taken over Barbie's house. That is a, a serious point. It's said with depth and profundity by America Ferrara In fact, Ferrara has told journalists that one of the first things that Greta Gerwig, the film's creator and director, mentioned even before she'd read the script was, she said, I wrote this monologue for Gloria, the character. I've always imagined you saying this. And then it took them two days just to shoot America Ferrara's monologue. She did 30 to 40 full runs of it, top to bottom. It is the linchpin of the movie. It's making a serious point. There are other kids' movies that also make serious points and make them in a profound and nuanced way. It's not too much to expect of a movie that's aimed at young people. I mean, I hesitate even to call this a kids' movie because of its massive success. It's a, it's a movie for everybody. But let's take the critics at their, at their strongest position. Let's steel-man them, as they say, and say, OK, well, it's a kids' movie. Well, you know, Inside Out is a kids' movie that makes deep and profound philosophical points and pulls it off with nuance. So is Toy Story. So indeed is the Lego movie, which 
Oddly has a similar plot structure. The Lego Movie and Sonic the Hedgehog have a similar structure to Barbie, where a character from a, a, a toy brand crosses some dimensional barrier into the real world and has to reckon with some aspect of the real world. So I don't quite buy the it's just a comedy, stop analysing it. Greta Gerwig is a very smart person. She's made very smart movies. I loved Little Women. I loved Lady Bird. And here she's trying to make a point. The problem, I think, is that she's making a point about a culture that no longer exists or no longer exists in any dominant form. I mean, Barbie is, to me, a searing satire of the 1990s or maybe 80s. Is it actually grappling with the gender crisis in 2023? What is the gender crisis in 2023 before we get to the movie? Is the big problem, the big problem right now, that a dominant male patriarchy without any compunctions and without any self-consciousness asserts its supremacy over all women and that young men who grow up experience the the kind of uh, understanding of masculinity that Ken glimpses when Ken and Barbie go into the real world and suddenly see the patriarchy for the first time. There's this lovely sequence, which I actually loved at the time until I saw the film's payoff, uh, where it can absorbs this this kaleidoscope, this this montage of positive visions of masculinity, banknotes with only men on them, presidents who've only been men, men riding horses, men in ads doing all these very masculine things at the same time as Barbie is confronted by being demeaned by wolf whistles, realizing that women are subservient and so on. And I thought that sequence was a great articulation or presentation of what it has been like historically to be growing up as a male and growing up as a female. Good. But the film isn't released, unfortunately, in 1982. It's released in 2023. And the idea that the problem at the moment is that young men are growing up with an unruffled sense of their own dominance is weird, I mean, we'll get to Andrew Tate and the rise of hyper-masculine masculinity and the, re- the revival of flagrant sexism and misogyny. But to regard that phenomenon as completely distinct from and detached from the sort of aggressive identitarian self-consciousness about sex and gender that has been fostered by feminism or some versions of feminism is crazy. This is all an interplay. We're all living in the same soup here. Like, we're all interacting with each other. We're responding to cues. It's, it's, it, so one framework is the problem of gender in 2023 is that men are on top and men don't care that they're on top and men are quite delighted to be on top and women just have to suck it up. The other, I think, more complicated and more nuanced explanation of what is going on with gender in 2023 is that you've had a very welcome readjustment, an overdue readjustment of gender power in that women, we can go through some of the statistics about this, but women now outperform men along almost every metric uh, apart from like the number of CEOs. But if you look at university graduation rates, if you look at expulsion from school, if you look at the the number of school teachers and role models and so on, there are a lot of ways in which young 
males are finding themselves confused, sidelined, without a role, without an understanding of what masculinity is supposed to be. Traditional brutish caveman understandings of masculinity are thankfully passe. And the new male is a difficult thing to get one's arms around. So I was really looking forward to someone as smart as Greta Gerwig wrestling with that. And yet what happens at the end of the film? Well, we'll get to that. Let's listen initially to the great speech, the big speech, around which Gerwig structured the entire movie and around which the resolution of the movie uh, occurs, on which it hinges. I don't have the audio of it because you can't get it yet, but here's the script. The character Gloria says, it is literally impossible to be a woman. You're so beautiful and so smart, it kills me that you don't think you're good enough. Speaking to Barbie. Like, we have to always be extraordinary, but somehow we're always doing it wrong. You have to be thin, but not too thin. And you can never say you want to be thin. You have to say you want to be healthy, but you also have to be thin. You have to have money, but you can't ask for money because that's crass. You have to be a boss, but you can't be mean. You have to lead, but you can't squash other people's ideas. You're supposed to love being a mother, but don't talk about your kids all the damn time. You have to be a career woman, but also always be looking out for other people. You have to answer for men's behaviour, which is insane, but if you point that out, you're accused of complaining. You're supposed to stay pretty for men, but not so pretty that you tempt them too much, or that you threaten other women because you're supposed to be part of the sisterhood. But always stand out, and always be grateful, and never forget that the system is rigged. So find a way to acknowledge that, but also always be grateful. You have to never get old, never be rude, never show off, never be selfish, never fall down, never fail, never show fear, never get out of line. It's too hard. It's too contradictory. And nobody gives you a medal or says thank you. And it turns out, in fact, that not only are you doing everything wrong, but also everything is your fault. I'm just so tired of watching myself and every single other woman tie herself into knots so that people will like us. And if all of that is also true for a doll, just representing woman, then I don't even know. It's a beautiful speech. It's powerful. It brings tears to my eyes. If young girls see themselves in it, then bravo. It's not the only story. It's not the only story. And it becomes the linchpin which the Barbies then whisper into into each other's ears to usher in an awakening and hence a revolution. This is like sort of lifting the veil off the eyes of the, the blind and foolish Barbies in Barbie land and getting them to understand the real power dynamic that's going on and the impossibility of being a woman in their world so that they rise up and take action against the men. I'm currently reading a, an amazing book called Wifedom by Anna Funder who I already loved for her book, Stasiland, about East Germany. And this is a book, just in case anyone thinks that my critique is coming from a place of, like, hypersensitivity about masculinity and our privileges and the patriarchy. This is a book that really does wrestle and provoke and grapple with the complexity, the contradictions of where we find ourselves in this world, the insidiousness I guess, of patriarchy and also of matriarchy. 
in some ways. So what does the film tell us? Look, as I've said, plot structure is similar to other movies about brands. You have these fictitious creatures moving into the real world, realising what the real world is like, and then bringing some lesson back to their artificial universe. And when Barbie and Ken... Like, it's interesting to look, to begin with, at, at the Ken character, right? All Ken wants in Barbie land is to be close to Barbie. And all he gets is rejection. And when they leave, he learns patriarchy. Barbie learns the conundrum of being a woman in the modern world. They bring back this lesson. And Ken turns into a kind of Andrew Tate figure when they get back. He takes over the Barbie house. He becomes a flagrant misogynist and encourages all the other males to do so. And when that happened, I thought the film was approaching something profound. Because it seemed to be acknowledging that part of what's going on in the world at the moment is young males feel confused about the role that females expect them to play. They feel excluded and listless, as Ken does towards Barbie. He only exists in relation to her as an appendage to her. His whole universe is that he is beach. He is beach Ken. He's not a lifesaver. He's not a swimmer. All he is is beach. All he wants to be is close to her. All he gets is rejection and being snubbed. And when you snub and reject young men, they do feel excluded. They do feel lost. And one solution for them is they find meaning in toxic masculinity. They go towards the worst aspects of Jordan Peterson and Joe Rogan as embodied in noxious creatures like Andrew Tate. And there was a possibility there that when you see Ken and the men articulate a vision of masculinity that's so horrid, that Barbie and the girls might realise that actually playing the zero-sum game of one sex against the other and winner-take-all is fruitless. It only leads to division and domination. That the solution could have been for cooperation, for a detente. Instead, the Barbies take over. They, they have this awakening moment where they, they whisper in the ears of all of the other Barbies the reality of the patriarchy. They all have a kind of uh, a, almost a robotic instant epiphany and are then able to realize that they have to rise up against the men. They do rise up against the men and they tell the men to leave the Barbie house, which the men do. Then the men ask if they can have one person on the Supreme Court, which is stacked entirely with women in Barbie world. And uh, Barbie says, no, you can't have a single Supreme Court justice. And everyone lives happily ever after somehow. Well, I don't know if it needs saying, but the Supreme Court in the actual world is four women and five men. In Barbie world, it's either all men or it's all women. The Mattel board which in the movie is hilariously played with Will Ferrell as the incompetent boss of Mattel and a whole board full of pale, grey, middle-aged, presumably straight men. In reality, the Mattel board has five women and six men. The movie is a scathing social satire of a society that no longer exists. And the solution that it offers is not that we should split the Supreme Court down the middle, male and female, but that it should be dominated entirely by women. 
And even, I mean, quite apart from whitewashing the role that women's rights have had in creating the gender confusions that currently exist, and this is not to demean in any way the good work done by, like, the Me Too movement and the urgent necessity of working towards equality between the sexes, but it's to understand causes, right? I mean, when, when we, you know, when... When 9-11 happens and we say, okay, what's going on in the Muslim world? Why does ISIS, why is ISIS coming into existence? What is this all about? We're not justifying terrorism by saying, well, okay, here are some of the causes. Ditto Palestinian terrorism, ditto Israeli overreach. I mean, pick whatever social or cultural phenomenon you want. To, to understand what is giving rise to grievances is not to justify the misdeeds of people who are motivated by those grievances. So to understand the way in which the shifting gender dynamics of the past 10, 15 years have given rise to Andrew Tate and to a a spike in toxic masculinity is not to justify in any way misogyny or sexism, but it's it's to try to ascribe a correct understanding, a correct model of causation here. Now, is that asking too much, again, of a movie that presents itself as a comedy for 13-year-old girls. Well, no, not if you're going to have that speech. Not if that speech is going to motivate the entire final act and the resolution of the film. And that speech does not just pretend to be one point of view. This is the point of view that unveils the reality about not just Barbie world, but the real world, the real world that Barbie and Ken have gone and had their eyes opened in. This is the speech that reveals the fundamental dynamic between males and females and that sets the stage for the resolution at the end of the film. And as we know, all films end with like a nice tidy resolution of an aspirational future, an aspirational set of affairs, which in this case is women seizing back control completely and not allowing males to have a single seat on the Supreme Court. That is the resolution to the problem of patriarchy as the film sees it. Well, can you imagine an alternative speech from the male perspective? Not the perspective of Ken, not the perspective of the patriarchy. Well, perhaps it is the perspective of Ken when Ken is lost and listless and trying to seize back control from Barbie House during that period of the film. But let's take it out of the world of the film and put it in the perspective of the young male who is currently causing us so many woes. And let me be clear here... This sort of stuff doesn't concern me because I'm worried about women getting too much power or something. This stuff concerns me because of the backlash from men. This stuff concerns me because I want young men to be good, to be the best that they can be, to care about women and to treat them well, and to care about all of society and culture and to treat it well, and to treat other men well, other boys. So what are the conditions in which that can happen? The most dangerous force throughout the history of humankind, has been young males. Young males are terrifying. Young males demolish societies. Young males ruin civilizations. Young males rape and pillage. We have been able to set up a civilization, a system, in which we somewhat constrain the misbehavior of young males. But if you want to turn down the volume on forces like Trumpism and Andrew Tateism, then we have to understand what's motivating them to some extent. 
It's not good enough to just say, well, toxic masculinity. Well, okay, but why does toxic masculinity wax and wane in different circumstances? How can we create conditions in which young males have a context for understanding justice and respect and civil society? Probably not by telling them that the sole truth, the guiding principle that is going to motivate the resolution of all that ails us is the America Ferrara speech I just read. Because I can equally imagine a speech from a young male that goes something like, well, you can tell a girl she looks nice, but not too nice, and you can't say it too often or you're a creep or a sexual harasser. It's so hard being a male. If you compliment her, you're sweet, but you're also weak. She says she likes nice guys, but she actually dates kind of assholey guys, so you never know what she really wants and what's just a game you're supposed to play. If she complains and you don't help, then you're useless. If she complains and you do help, then you're mansplaining. If you actually know how to fix a problem, then you're a know-it-all. If you don't know, you're a schmuck. It's so, so hard to be a male. If a man takes up too much space, he's manspreading. If a woman takes up too much space, you need to respect her autonomy. The sins of every man are on your shoulders as a man. Domestic violence, it's your fault. Rape, it's your fault. The kind of guilt by association and collective blame that we would never accept towards any other group is legitimate as long as the group is men. When women joke about boring, loser, straight, white, middle-aged men, when they generalise about toxic masculinity and tweet out to hashtag kill all men, you must play along. If you feel offended, you need to grow some balls. But not balls that are too big, because that's toxic masculinity. And don't tell anyone else they should grow balls, because that reinforces a stereotype that women are weak for having ovaries. But don't say women have ovaries, because not all women have ovaries, you sexist, transphobic pig. We're supposed to accept claims like women earn 70 cents on the dollar, even though every economist knows that once you adjust for hours worked and occupations chosen and time off to raise kids, the gender wage gap almost disappears. This hypothetical male might say, not Josh Sepps. He might say, we're supposed to pretend that the only reason there are more male CEOs is solely due to sexism, not also due to the larger number of alpha male psychopaths who want to work 16-hour days every day of their lives. We need to pretend to enjoy being gaslit with such t- statistics. Or we're just privileged men entrenching our privilege, our privilege to be incarcerated at massive rates, to die in mines and in wars and on oil rigs and in rescue helicopters, always the last on the lifeboat and the first into the burning building. But don't mention it, that would be toxic. Because men have always enjoyed the privilege of toiling in fields and factories to feed their families. Schoolboys lag behind girls in maths. They're a full year behind in English. They bail out of high school at about the same rate as girls who live in poverty. 80% of high school dropouts in the United States, boys. Of the top 10% of students academically, two-thirds are girls. Nearly twice as many boys have to repeat kindergarten. 95% of children diagnosed as hyperactive, boys. 70% of medicated preschoolers and kindergartners, boys. Three times as many boys as girls get expelled. Meanwhile, let's talk about role models. 90% of primary school teachers are women. 97% of kindergarten teachers are women. Role models? How about 
occupations and careers in the future. Everyone talks about getting girls into STEM. That's working. The proportion has nearly doubled. Almost a third of STEM workers in America are females. But STEM jobs are only 7% of all jobs. There are four times as many jobs in the fields of health, education, literacy and administration. Those are women-dominated fields and it's getting more and more and more. The share of men in those occupations, which are four times as prevalent as STEM, is 26% down from 35% in 1980. Among psychologists under the age of 30, 5% are men. Healthcare is one of the fastest growing best paid sectors. Of the university degrees awarded in healthcare fields, men get 16%. Women get 84% of university degrees in healthcare fields. 60% of university students overall are women. Now, I'm not saying this means anything in particular. I'm saying you can imagine a coherent case being made by a young male, that life is very, very tough for men at the moment. And this movie that presents itself as a nuanced and sophisticated takedown of gender roles, satirizing the ridiculousness of Barbie and Ken, is focused only on one side of the pie. And any time you focus only on one side of the pie, you alienate and exclude some portion of the population, and when you alienate and exclude some portion of the population, when you build a cultural narrative in which they don't see themselves reflected, they try to find meaning in other ways. Sometimes in ways they really shouldn't find meaning. Look at the finale of the movie, where Ken and his toxic masculine Andrew Tatey friends have taken over Barbie House, and Barbie and America Ferrara's character realize that they have to take it back, so they whisper their pearls of anti-patriarchal wisdom in the ears of all of the other Barbies, and they go and they have a revolution, and they take back Barbie House and insist on no males on the Supreme Court and whatnot. The way they take, up, take over Barbie House is they just tell the, the men that they can't live there anymore, and the men leave. Well... That's even doing a disservice to toxic masculinity and to the danger that we face in trying to navigate this new terrain. It even whitewashes what men are capable of and how bad patriarchy can be. Because what happens in the real world when men are going awry and going crazy, when they've been driven to the brink of toxic masculinity is not that women come along and say, sorry, you have to get out of our house and leave now so we can take back power. What happens is that the men get back to a house that has been taken over by the women, and the men pillage the place. All hell breaks loose. They burn it to the ground. They rape. That's what actually happens in the real world when young males are pushed to the brink of feeling totally excluded from power structures. Now, I'm not saying that happens because of women. That happens because of men, and that happens because of the jostling and the power dynamics between men, the desire for supremacy between men. But to kind of leave out the jigsaw piece of the whole jigsaw puzzle 
which is that patriarchy and toxic masculinity are not just about the number of people on the Supreme Court or the number of people on the Mattel board, problems, I add, which we have already solved in the real world. They're about trying to constrain the worst impulses of the most dangerous cohort of society, which is young males. I was hoping for a movie that would grapple with that, that would grapple with how you achieve uh, self-fulfillment and equality for women at the same time as managing the instincts of young males and trying to make things equitable for everyone. And we end up with a movie that articulates a vision of the patriarchy that no longer exists, uh, that assumes that young men walk through the world with as unruffled a sense of their own dominance as Ken finds when he enters the real world and experiences that montage of male presidents and men on banknotes. That is not the world in, through which young men are currently walking. They're currently walking through a very confusing minefield in which they're not sure what they're supposed to be doing. And the solution to that is not to rub their nose in the dirt, kick them out of the house, and tell them they're never going to have someone on the Supreme Court because now it's our turn to construct a matriarchy. So those are my thoughts. I, I thought it was a lost, missed opportunity. I still enjoyed the film. It's a funny film. Go to it, see it, laugh at it, have fun, whatever. If it inspires 13-year-old girls to feel better about themselves, great. But let's not pretend that it's the kind of biting cultural and social satire that it thinks it is. Uh, thank you so much for, uh, for being part of the Uncomfortable Conversations community. Next time, back to regular programming. Mm-hmm.